0: So a note is an IOU and everybody's in the note game already. If you own a mortgage, a car payment, student loan debt, credit card debt, you owe your cousin Bubba down the street five hundred (laughs) bucks. You're in the note game, you're just making payments on the wrong stream. You're paying outgoing versus incoming.
1: Welcome to Money Vision U. In this podcast, we are passionate about teaching the financial class you should have had in high school, so you can learn how to fast track your financial freedom. If you want to learn how to make, manage, and multiply your money, and see opportunities the way the wealthy do, then you came to the right place. I'm your host, Stuart Berryhill, Money Vision U, class in session. Welcome to another episode of Money Vision U. Today we have Mr. Scott Carson on the podcast with us, who is a note investor, which is something we have not talked about on the podcast and frankly, something I have never done. So I'm looking forward to being a student this episode as well. But with that being said, Scott, welcome to the podcast.
0: Man, Stuart, I am excited to be here as part of MVU, man. Just uh, here to give and help educate and share the as I say the sexy side of real estate investing being a note investor.
1: There we go. Yeah, we got to hear all about the sexy side of real estate with the note investing uh but just just to start, give us a further bi- uh, financial bio on yourself. What sparked your financial literacy and financial freedom journey and how did you really I guess you can tell us how you got into note investing from that journey.
0: Yeah, so like many folks, you know, I graduated college, I have a business degree and started, you know, reading books and obviously Rich Dad Poor Dad was a big uh, inspiration me, listening to Mark Victor Hansen, Chicken Soup for the Soul and stuff like that. And, and uh, Jack Canfield and uh, Sharon Lecter and a bunch of those, you know, started really reading my mind as I was getting into the workforce out of college. And then, I was, you know, we bought our first house um, and the realtor's like, hey, you know, you guys got, got great credit score. You should be an investor. You should buy some more to be invested. It's a great time to buy an office. This is going back to like 2001, 22. So it's already 20 years ago like, mm-hmm. yeah, I grew up, my dad owned the local hardware store when I was growing up in a small town. So there's not really much on a house that I'm not, I haven't done or could technically fix, you know, better than uh-huh. Tim the Toolman Taylor in a lot of cases. So I was like, yeah, let's buy a couple investment properties. What we did, I was making good money, six figures as a financial advisor, we're almost right out of school. And, you know, 2001, then Dell moved a lot of their headquarters over to Memphis and some other things. And then suddenly we had, we had three properties and two were now were vacant. And then I get laid off from my job and you know you go through savings pretty fast and we were making six mortgage payments, three first, three seconds on uh, on a private school teacher salary of $33,000 a year. That doesn't, doesn't yep. last long. So I went mm-hmm. from being an investor to being a distressed borrower really, really fast. So uh, fortunate for me, we got rid of the two investment properties, kept we were able to keep our primary through a modification, licked my wounds for about a year, did a lot of odd jobs, but got back in on the finance side and was doing really well as a banker for JP Morgan Chase and and going that route. And then a buddy of mine uh, started a mortgage company and he was working with a couple of investors that were traveling, you know, the speaking circuit with with Ron Legrand and a few others teaching people about creative financing and investing. I was like, man, this is really what I want to do. And so I left my job as the number one banker for Chase uh, in Texas and started on July 4th, 2004. I was, you know, speaking in uh, LA at the LAX Marriott about mortgages, you know, how to, all the different you know products for investors at the time, because at that time you could fog a mirror and get get a mortgage in a lot of cases. So <laughs> lucky for me from two thousand four to two thousand and eight, I really had a great uh, apprenticeship besides originating mortgages and doing mortgages in about thirty different states and just making a kill then, I also had this time to learn from a couple really great investors, Bob Lee and Andy, Jamie Kayla, uh, Ron Laran, and a few others. I really had an MBA in, in real estate education. And I sit in the back of the room of all these classes, not only being a vendor, but also taking copious amounts of notes and then going home and applying what I learned, you know, wholesaling, subject to deals, doing some light rehabs, learning how to raise capital, but then also learning about owner financing and then also learning about non-performing notes that were big in the eighties with the uh, resolution trust and the savings and and loan scandal back then. You had a lot of distressed debt. Well, lo and behold, what happened in 2008 is, you know, we were doing this mortgage stuff in 2008, the music stopped, and my Mentors and I had a couple of money partners at the time that I made. Like, hey Scott, this is an opportunity for you. If you're really going to focus on one thing, don't focus on rehabbing because market values are dropping. Focus on buying debt, and so that's what I did. I stopped rehabbing. I stopped doing subject two deals, and so just started. I you know sold my half of the mortgage company for a buck because it's all about oh, it was worth, and then just started calling banks and dialing for dollars to to find non-performing notes, and you know made a name for myself started sharing what I was doing on YouTube and Facebook. And, uh, you, know, fat, you know, fast forward now, it's been 15, 16 years. No, actually, yes, 15 years now. we bought over a billion dollars in distressed debt, bought wow. uh, thousands of non-performing mortgages. And we'll talk more about what that is. But that's really all I have focused on. And that's why I'm known as the note guy now.
1: That is really cool, uh, your story there. And uh, yeah, you got into the banking system, helping with mortgages, kind of, I guess, at the right time, which is kind of neat. Can you actually, this is a little bit off topic, but can you actually give us a glimpse like into that 2008 crisis, what actually happened there? Because I know I haven't talked about it on the podcast, but I think it's a key learning point for listeners to understand of why a lot of people started defaulting on loans. Just what led to that financial crisis, that real estate uh, you know, crisis, I guess, if you will.
0: So let's let's there's there's a two phases to it. Let's first talk about the mortgage side and we can talk about Wall Street side in a lot of cases. So what happened leading up to this, you had a lot of you had Wall Street getting very greedy because there was this mortgage rush. Now rates weren't really low. I mean, they're about what they are right now. We consider rates high compared right, right, right now because we've yeah, been so slow yeah. for the last couple of years. But you had people, you had a lot of no uh, no income, no job verification, you know, they call them liar loans. You had a lot of subprime mortgages. You had a lot of a paper mortgage people were just taking out a lot of debt and banks and lenders wanted to get a, a a piece of that pie they wanted, to you know get their place in the trough so instead of like okay normal you got to have like a 680 fico score and you get a, a loan a bank would give you a loan with like 95 percent down right you know a five percent down and a mortgage for 95 to 97 cents well now when when there was all this greedy and all this growth was going on well each order more and more lenders started getting more competitive so well we'll drop it to a 660 fico score and then only require like 4% down or we'll you know we'll go to a 580 fico score and give you 100% financing but we'll charge you 12%, you know what i mean? Mm-hmm. So you had this just huge rush of lenders wanting to get into and all these people that were like could qualify without having to verify if they had a decent uh, credit score they wouldn't have to verify income. If you if you could say you were a real estate investor and had an LLC around for 2 years, your CPA could write you a letter and say you're a real estate investor and you make this much money and there's no you know you're not checking into the, no you know, it they're not doing now verifying a lot of cases so you had all these people get mortgages and then you had the market values kind of stopped because what happened is that wall street started selling all these default you know bad mortgages and wrapping them all in these big tranches and then calling and selling insurance off of these things and then uh, s&p and wall street started saying these non-prime mortgages were A-plus paper investments. Well, they aren't A-plus paper investments. And most of the different Wall Streets and the banks, when they look at their portfolio, they had only kind of modeled their default rates to show like, oh, if we get it, you know, we only ever expect an 8% default rate and we'll still be fine. Well, what happened is that default rates skyrocketed past 8% to 10 15%, sometimes 25% depending on the mm-hmm. type of loan it was in. Well, that meant that that paper... Which hence made that inch, you know, the, the money behind that mortgage not worth what it was written on. You know what I mean? It's basically like a million dollar, we'll just say a million dollar loan really was only worth like 750. Well, that's a 25% loss. Well, what happened with his insurance, these credit default swaps, is that insurance basically became worthless or it would bankrupt to pay the insurance on these bonds. AIG defaulted because they couldn't afford to do this. So it was just one big, as I like to say, it was a big sandwich and everybody had to take a bite out of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> And it led to, it led to, you know, big companies laying off. It, be, it led to literally almost uh, the, the world economy kind of coming to a screeching halt in a lot of cases. If, if you know, like uh, Congress stepped in and bailed a lot of people out, a lot of these banks, just some of these big banks that went out of business that they got sold for like 20 cents on the dollar, like countrywide. The reason countrywide went out of business, cause they had bought all these negative amortization loans from, uh, from California which basically, you're not, these borrowers weren't even paying a full interest payment. They're only paying like a partial interest payment. If their mortgage is written at 6%, they were making a 1%, that 5% interest went to the face amount of their loan. So the loan was getting more expensive every month. Mm, wow. They weren't paying it down. Well, it works okay if your value keeps going up, but when your value stops or you owe 125% of the value your loan, the bank then says, well, no, you can no longer make a, mar- a partial payment. You've got to make a full, you know, PITI or at least a 30 year interest-only payment, and people just didn't have that. And that caused people to lose their jobs, lose these big, huge foreclosure wave. And it led to a big opportunity for me because I started getting lists in from banks where they were like, give us $0.05 on the dollar, give us $0.10 on the dollar. And the underlying asset, while it may have not been worth like 100% of the value of the loan, it still had value. Hmm. And that's where we as note investors make our money is that we're buying this debt that's non-performing. Maybe they owe 120 thousand the house isn't maybe only worth a hundred now they haven't paid in six months but well, we can buy that debt from the bank say like 50 60 cents of value so gotcha. we, we buy a hundred twenty thousand dollar mortgage for 50 grand and the way that we make money uh Stuart is to go in there reach out to the homeowner and say hey we know you're upside down we know you made a payment what do you want to do do you want to stay or do you want to go if you want to go that's fine just sign the property over to us We'll forgive you the 120 grand and then we'll take that property and list it and sell it on the MLS for 90 to 95 with with a $50,000 investment. So it's a nice chunk of money. Our number one strategy though is to like to keep people in their houses and say, listen, Hey, I know you've been paid in six months. You owe more than the property's worth. If you want to stay, not pull your kids out of school, have to pay all this money to move and try to get qualified, but your your credit's shot now because you've been paid on time for six months. Just start paying on time. Let's, you know, let's do a trial payment plan for a year At the end of the year, we'll modify your loan. We'll forgive some, you know, whatever balance you're above, you know, whatever you owe, it's over and above the value of the property. And let's, you know, make, let's create a win-win. And that works for cash flow for us, Uh you know? And then after 12 months of on-time payments, you know, we could then sell that loan back to wall street for 85, 90 cents of the dollar as well, without having to fix the property, without having to foreclose, no property management, just start collecting payments and, that's yeah. kind of the two major strategies we have as a note
1: investor. Well, let me let me go back and I want to break down some of the terms that you used that people might not be as familiar with because sometimes we'll have a younger audience here. And so hearing things like um, the, the prime mortgage or the prime rate or what you were saying there, that would be one question. And then how where I want to start, though, is basically the overall problem really started with banks not verifying or... Qualifying people that are buying homes correctly. So, for example, they didn't, a, a bank nowadays, if you're trying to buy a home, they're going to make sure that they're getting all the resources to verify that you have income, verify how much income you have, how consistent that income is, and just qualify you as not necessarily a home buyer, but someone who is taking that debt. And so, what happened back then is just banks were giving out money and just thinking that. All right, they're gonna find a way to pay it one way or another. We don't have to overly verify this. That's kind of the overall premise. Well or
0: or, or they would qualify people knowing that they were gonna sell that mortgage off in thirty days to, to Wall Street or somebody else. So they didn't do a lot of verification. They hey if you got the FICO score, we don't care a lot of times. If you can bring the five percent down based on our, our program, hey, we'll, we'll 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 rubber stamp you in a lot of cases. Okay. You know, or or if you don't mind paying a higher interest rate. We'll rubber stamp you to get the mortgage in and then sell that to Wall Street and we are we walk away. Okay. And when, what had, had happening is that a lot of these lenders, if a bar goes in default in the first six months or the first 12 months, oftentimes that mortgage company has to buy that mortgage back from who they sold it to. So okay. there was a big, big subprime lender called New Century Mortgage that was doing these negative, am- or, you know, negative amortization loans or they call them pick a pay that weren't the greatest uh, products. So they they had such a high default rate at one point that uh, well, it was Countrywide called a billion dollars in debt for them to buy back a billion dollars in debt because these bars had started to default. Well, New Century didn't have a billion dollars, so they just went out of business overnight. Well, mm-hmm. then Countrywide got stuck with this stuff on their books, and they went out of business. Bank of America saw an opportunity, so Bank of America bought co- Countrywide mortgage for 20 cents on the dollar yeah you know they bought all this debt for 20 cents on the dollar of basically what was owed and then they modified it a year later and had a record year in earnings a year later
1: <laughs> okay <laughs> you know now tell so, but me sub- yeah, yeah tell me how wall street so because you're saying wall street is coming in and buying these so um you know i think when people think wall street they think stock market um they think you know things like that and you know for People who are buying homes, you got your mortgage company, it's Penny Mac. It's not necessarily somebody you're thinking about that's not necessarily Wall Street, I guess, as, as you're thinking of it in terms of maybe, um, you know, go on, go to New York and actually look on Wall Street and think like people trading stocks and doing things like that. So can you kind of define what that is with Wall Street? Like who is from Wall Street that is buying these um, uh, notes or these mortgages, when like they're going to be defaulted, and they're still propping things up. Can you go into a little detail there?
0: Yeah. So Wall Street doesn't, likes performing assets because if they can buy, if they're they've got the cheapest money out there. So like their money costs are like at one percent. Okay. So if they can finance mortgages and get a two percent return, like the lowest interest, they're still making a hundred percent profit on their money. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're paying back the fed or all 1% but they're making 2% or 3% or 5%. So they're making the difference in the arbitrage. That's how banks work. Banks will take your deposit, you know, if you put money in a savings account or you keep a balance of checking account, they're glad to pay that 0.01% on your savings account because they're lending that money out at 5% mortgages, making 8%. the difference. Yeah. They're arbitraging the funds. So that's that's literally how Wall Street works. They are like the arbitrage, but Wall Street's likes performing assets because then they can predict the income of it. They can figure in some of their quants. Okay. If we have a default rate of 8%, we're still going to come out doing well. Necessarily Wall Street doesn't like to buy non-performing notes. They want to get off their books because based on how, um, lending regulations are, if a bank has a non-performing loan, it costs them about 10 times that in fees of what they have to hold back in reserves and also lost revenue from lending that money out, you know, five, 10, 15, uh, times a year so what makes an opportunity for you know myself other investors there are hedge funds that will go in and buy this debt at big discounts because they know that hey, if they do a little bit of work they usually get the bars back on track because their cost basis is less than the actual asset was is created i mean that's the thing we could we end up controlling real estate at 50 cents of the value because we end up buying the distressed debt and we make our money by working it out and turning lemon uh, lemons into lemonade a lot of times uh-huh. and knowing that okay so we buy you know, going to give you some numbers, uh, engineering, like we talked about before. So, if we're you buying a note, say, borrows 120, they're upside down by them paid in six months, it's worth 100, values have dropped a little bit. If it's got a 6% mortgage on it and we buy that mortgage for 50 cents on the dollar, but we get the bar back on track and start making payments on time, that's like a 12% cash and cash return there just based off the cash flow. Okay. Okay. Now, if we turn around and sell it, to Wall Street, not only do we get the cash flow along the way, we usually last the bar to bring some skin in the game, a little bit extra to get caught back up on. So in a year, we can now sell that performing note at 85.90 cents in the dollar. And Wall Street's happy because they're buying a hundred thousand dollar asset, at a little bit of a discount, and they're seeing a six and a half, seven percent return on their money. You know, I mean? or, or six times their, their money costs them one percent, and they're gonna get a six to seven percent return. That's a 600 mm-hmm. percent profit of their money. They're happy with that, but they just got to be performing. I'm happy because now my fifty thousand dollar investment just made me 12 months of cash flow plus another 35 to 40 percent in 12 months in this in the spread between what I right. bought it for and what I sold it for. So it's that's the the is happy because now they got kind of a oh, get back in. They're mm-hmm. paying on time, they're not gonna lose their house. Uh they're also their credits getting repaired along the way every time they make a payment on time. It's also helping the market because the neighborhood's not going to see a foreclosure, which will depreciate each block or each neighborhood as well. So it's, mm. it's really how we kind of create a lot of win-win-wins out there with what we do. But if, a, a great example to look at, if you like movies, is go watch The Big Short with Christian Bale and Steve Carell. Yeah. And what I do is I'm a, a smaller version of the Christian Bale character in that <laughs> buying billions of dollars of mortgages. I still look at a lot of spreadsheets. And we're buying that's Like right now, I had a bank and a lender send me one, sent me a list of 291 notes so that I can cherry pick from. Another one sent me 175. I got 60 from. Another and these bank. are people
1: basically not paying their notes, is why they're trying to sell it to you. Exactly. exactly. Or their mortgage. It's, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. They're not paying their mortgage. Although I did get a list of 60 performing notes that the bank uh, is looking to move off their books as well, because they're trying to raise capital um, uh, to offset some of these losses on the non-performing side.
1: Okay. Okay. So just wrapping up the 2008 crisis, that's, people were not getting verified for their income and then Wall Street was getting way over leveraged yeah. because these people were not verified and could not pay these loans. And so now they got no one to sell these things to. Then, yeah. then getting into the note side of things, that's where you come in because you see an opportunity. And what you can do probably as a more private investor is really you know, work and strategize how to make something work compared to big banks. They don't have time, I guess, for that. They they don't have time to go in and look at every single detail, call the people who are living there. Hey, how can we work this thing out? It, they they just can't do that. It's it's too much. They have too many things on their books and you well, can they, come they, in and do that.
0: You know, this is why banks will offload a lot of, of that borrower outreach to servicing companies. I mean, we've got servicing companies that still outreach, but the thing is, banks aren't in the real estate business. They're in the mortgage and lending business. They don't want to own real estate. They don't want to own rentals. They don't want to deal with toilet stands and trash outs. That's not their cup of tea. They would most in the, most banks would rather refinance or uh, modify the loan and get you back on a payment plan of some sort versus taking the property back. They just don't want to do that. But yeah, that leads to opportunities for us because a, a couple of years ago there used to be a lot of HUD foreclosures. Well, HUD realized that they could make more money and solve issues for them faster by selling the debt off to investors like me and others. And they literally came out in a news article and a press release saying, listen, we're going to be sending, selling more of the debt off than the actual properties because the investors that are buying the notes, they have more flexibility to do exactly what you said, the individual outreach, the individual creative on an asset. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't mind if I have to take a property back, depending on where it's at. I don't mind having to put some picks and flips to it because I'm buying at such a big discount and I have the flexibility and speed um, to make decisions faster versus having to go up a chain and get approval from a loan committee or anything like that. I, we move, as I say, we're more agile, hostile, and mobile than most of the banks are think, because <laughs> we're smaller. But when we make make quick decisions, and then we also know what's really going on with that individual asset because we know the location better than somebody in New York just looking at a spreadsheet right. and trying to figure out what's going right. on on Zillow. Australia.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, I, I do. I want to make sure that I don't pass this by. Can you just define what a note is? Because that yeah. term might confuse people too. Is it the same as a bond it, or is that more a bond is between entities and a note is with private investors? Can you define what a note is?
0: So a note is an IOU and everybody's in the note game already. If you own a mortgage, a car payment, student loan debt, credit card debt, you owe your cousin Bubba down the street 500 bucks. You're in the note game. You're just making payments on the wrong stream. You're paying outgoing versus incoming. Mm -hmm. So what I do is a note is a it's debt. We buy notes or mortgages just on residential commercial properties. I mean, you can buy credit card debt. You can buy debt on just about anything, but we just buy it on residential and commercial properties because it's secured. There's an asset behind it. Um, Anything that's unsecured debt, like credit card or medical stuff, you would buy. You know, you can buy that stuff at like you know ten cents of a dollar. But you have to be very aggressive in your outreach, trying to collect from people. There's no type of tangible Mm -hmm. asset securing the loan, So that's why we like uh, real estate loans, because there's a property. And when we buy the note, we have we become the lender and we have all the same rights that the bank does in foreclosure, in in working to modify the bar. If the bar won't play ball, you know, as we say, you know, pay, you know, stay, (laughs) you know, we, we can foreclose and go that legal route. We don't want to. We give them, there's, you know, like 11 different ways that we can work with a borrower, but if they won't play ball and they just tell us to go pound sand then we'll just kick it to our attorneys and then foreclose. And each state's a little bit different, Stuart. Um, every state has a different foreclosure time frame, So that goes into kind of our evaluating, you know, we stay away from like New York and New Jersey because it takes two to three years to foreclose in those two states. Oh, wow. We like faster states like Texas and Georgia because they're like 30 days or less. The thing about buying in those states, though, is that the banks know it's faster to foreclose there. So they want a little bit more of a premium. So we buy, I'm buying about 20, 25 different states like Ohio, Michigan, Indiana. There's a lot of stuff up there that we can buy at a big discount. Florida, God's waiting room, you know, we buy there relatively cheap um, because it does take about a year to foreclose. But, you know, um, you only buy a lot. We don't buy a lot in California because it's just crazy to have to foreclose there. Uh, And then the banks want through the nose. For something that's non-performing, they want a premium for it mm. and we, We're just gonna, yeah. If, we're, if we buy one asset, like in San Diego, we buy like a whole block in St. Louis.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. So with note investing, you're basically buying debt, but you are the lender. You are not the borrower. You are the lender. So that's the difference in buying real estate versus buying notes. If you're, if I go buy a real estate deal, I'm likely going to be the borrower. I own the asset and I get cash flow. Well. I guess I don't technically technically I guess the bank owns the asset but I get to reap all the benefits of the cash flow run it like a business but I am still paying those mortgage payments and but with note investing you can invest in anything where there's debt <laughs> with your cousin bubba or with a commercial property multifamily property something like that and so you like being the lender rather than the borrower and just finding situations where yeah someone's not pre- I will say, how do you, how do, how can you tell if, I mean, is it all about location, location? I'm, obviously there's certain states to stay away from, but is how much do you vet because you want to work with the resident or whoever is the borrower on the note? How do you vet something like that? Because that, I mean, that seems like a big part of it to know if it's a good deal or not.
0: Great, very great, great question. So what we get when a lender sends us a tape or a spreadsheet, that's what is an Excel spreadsheet. It'll have the address of the property, the borrower's name. Sometimes they'll have their social security number. It'll tell us, you know, when their last payment was made, when their next due. Uh, sometimes the value of the property. Sometimes we'll get the last 12 to 24 months of payment stream so we can see how if they've been on time or not. Uh, we'll often do due diligence and get the actual servicing notes sent to us where the we can find out if the borrower's been reaching out to the, the lender or the lender has had to reach out and had no luck. So we'll know the value of the property, we'll know what's owed, we'll know, you know, the t- total legal balance. We'll also oftentimes know the occupancy. So we we prefer occupied assets because that gives us somebody to talk to, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um if it's vacant, we know it's dependent we don't know how long it's been vacant, but often vacant assets will run into more issues, like, you know, the copper will be stripped out of the property if it's been vacant for a while or right gotcha. now if it's in Michigan, it may have an indoor water feature, you know, an ice skating rink in the basement because it's frozen up there. You know what I
1: mean?
0: <laughs> so you got to know that. So if it's occupied, we like that because it gives us more exit strategies to perform with the bar back on track. If it's vacant, okay, well, that means we're really taking the asset back and have to foreclose. Less strategy, but it could also be a really good good deal. So um, depending on what we buy. So there's, we like to, we have to research the property. We have to research the borrower, and We also do some due diligence on the collateral file, the loan loan documents and all the stuff that goes along with that. But when we get these lists in, you know, there's no way that we're going to know everything about an asset. So like on this list of 291 assets I got, I'll probably make an offer on a hundred assets based off of just some formulas and what information is provided to me. Okay. And if they come back and accept my initial offering, then I'll have a period of three weeks to, you know, a month and a half, depending on how many I'm buying to do a deeper dive. And if I find like, you know, they list the value at hundred on a spreadsheet, I don't know if that was a... A, a appraisal or just off a of zillow well if mm-hmm. i find that the value is like say 60 grand well i'm going to reduce my bid and i have all the right to reduce my bid because the value is really not there and either they can accept my reduced bid or i'll just kick that one asset off the list and now i'm working on 90 instead of 91 you know what i mean mm-hmm. you know we'll, we'll check taxes uh we'll call the, the utilities departments too as we're in deeper due diligence. is it occupied is the power on you know the thing is, what's really great is since we're the bank, we have a vested interest in the property. So we will often get more information from the the utility departments and like the county because we're the bank. We're ultimately yeah. trying to get those departments paid. So they'll give us a lot more information. I mean, I've had them tell me, oh, yeah, power's been off for six months. Or, hey, mm. borrowers are on a payment plan. Or they came in here and got in a fight. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Um, all sorts of stuff. And we'll see a lot of information. Like, I've I've bought notes from banks in, in bulk and I've gotten these, you know, we get these collateral files sent to us and it'll be like hardship letters from a borrower, And the borrower is like, you know, trying to do a loan mod for four years and we'll see all that information. And like, Oh, Hey, this bar wants to stay. They want to do a loan mod. We'll buy that note immediately. Why the, the previous note seller didn't agree to it. I don't know. They just chose they didn't want to go that route. And it turns out to be a good day for us because we can get that bar back on track and, and it's, it's a good yield to us. So there's, there's multiple facets. You know, we don't do everything on the front end. We've got time um, to look at stuff. We're buying one off note. We might have seven to 10 days for due diligence and then time to fund. We use cash to fund. You can't go to a bank to get a loan to buy a note. So we leverage a lot of, uh, you know, retirement accounts, individual investors. We're working on a fund as well to, uh, to make things to to buy bigger in bulk, especially with the new opportunities that are presented to us with the market being like it is right now.
1: Yeah. I was going to ask that how to buy a note, because let's say there's a hundred thousand dollars, that is left on a mortgage payment, and or, or that's the debt the borrower owes, and you're coming in and buying that at a cheaper value. So you may say, hey, I'll give you $50,000 for your $100,000 note. They're wanting to get rid of it because they're not getting paid and just losing money at this point. So that's where they just take their losses, cut their losses, sell it to you. One, you vet that really a key part of that seems to be occupancy and really trying to figure out who maybe the resident is and doing your due diligence on the bank's due diligence, and then your own separate due diligence outside of that as well. Uh, But then you buy the note, but if so, there's a business deal, whatever is in a contract, Hey, this bank XYZ is going to sell it to Scott Carson investing company. It's a hundred thousand dollar note for $50,000. You have to come out, you have to find all the cash for that. You can't take a a loan on a note because that's a a, that's debt on debt which wow that that's like uh what's that movie called where it's a dream within inception dream within a dream (laughs) within a dream um so that's essentially how it works and then if you get them starting to pay again the borrower you're getting cash flow probably good cash flow at that because you have a lower payment but then well is that all accurate what i'm saying first before i get to the part two of that question
0: You're very you're right on track. So yeah, let's so let's just make make it something simple here. So that they a hundred thousand mortgage, they six percent mortgage, they got to pay six grand a year in interest, right? Mm -hmm. And if we we bought it at fifty, and they start paying on time, and they're working on paying that hundred thousand dollar mortgage now, it's like a twelve percent return to me. But if I'm borrowing fifty grand from an investor, you know, and we'll have them co named or having an LLC with them, if I'm borrowing that say at eight percent mortgage, so fifty thousand dollars times point oh eight. Percent, that's 4,000 a year. If I divide that by 12 months, I'm paying $333 a month to an investor who's making 8%, but mm-hmm. I'm getting a 12% return. I'm being, basically getting six grand a year uh, on that. And so that's the arbitrage. I pay my investor the $333. I'm getting $500 a month. I'm making $177 a month cash flow. And then in 12 months, I sell it at $85,000 or $90,000 to Wall Street, and I just got a big, huge... Windfall of thirty-five to forty thousand dollars more in profit off okay. fifty thousand dollars investment.
1: Okay, perfect. And then I get part two of my question. And key note here, n- no pun intended, but you you cannot act. You're not actually selling the property. It the borrower, whoever the person is that got the has the mortgage, they choose when they want to sell the property. All you can do is sell the debt. So you can't unless, unless it forecloses and then you just own it outright. Then there's no more foreclosure for listeners means the the resident or the borrower has defaulted. They can't make any more payments. That's the nice thing about owning real estate, I guess, on your end is you have that as collateral because if you're not getting your payments, you at least get the real estate back and you can figure out a way to minimize your losses. But you find how do you find a bank to take that note from? I mean, is it, is it just from relationships that you've built up over time? I mean, how does someone get in contact with someone like Wall Street to be able to sell a what was a non-performing note early pre- on, now a performing now, note?
0: It's now a reperforming performing I have to have 12 months of on-time payments. Okay. I, and that's got to usually be with a third-party servicer. You know, So the borrower's is back on track, paying on time. We usually ask them to bring some skin in the game. So they've, instead of paying just their normal monthly payment, they may be making 100 or $200 extra a month. And so we work really well to get them back on time. Plus 12 months of on-time payments will boost their, their FICA score up some. Mm-hmm. And so but Wall Street realized, hey, hey, I'll buy that debt it's worth a hundred. I'll buy it at 85. Cause that gives me still a 15% discount. And like I said, they've got cheap, mm. cheap money. So now they're still, well, I'll make an 8% return on my own. That's, that's a pretty good yield for them. And it's just a matter there's, there's debt buying firms out there. I mean, if you've ever gotten a mortgage on a house, you closed a month later, you probably got a letter in the mail saying your mortgage was sold to somebody else.
1: Right. Right. But that <laughs>
0: happens all the time. And that's yeah. just kind of, there's just firms out there that specialize in buying debt. There's banks that like to buy this stuff. There's, individual investors like I'll buy performing debt from other investors as long as I can see like a double digit return. So there's a lot of firms. It's a smaller niche within a niche, you know. So you're not going to have as many note buyers as you as fix and flippers or landlords. There's probably a total of 50,000, you know, maybe 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 50 to 100,000 note investors like me. You know, you, most people think of note investing and they think of like somebody owner owner financing a property. And that's a mm-hmm. small niche within within our, our bigger niche here. But that's, you know, there's places out there that will sell that all day long for that will buy it if they can get a decent 8% or a higher return.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's all super interesting. And uh, I guess you've just built relationships with banks over time just to be able to have them send you. Notes or potential non-performing assets, but how would someone even start if they were wanting to be into note investing? And and go ahead and tell us, you know, if if because obviously people can't invest with you. What do traditional returns for them look like? I know you gave kind of an example there, but for the specific investor, So let's. I'll start with the first question. If you mm-hmm. with anything, any niche, you've got to learn
0: about that niche. Well, no matter what it is, apartments, self-storage, note investing. And um, we we started teaching other investors how to invest in this niche because it, it helped us raise capital. People didn't understand it. They mm-hmm. well, you mean I'm not buying the property? You know, like no, 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 you're buying the debt which controls the property. Right. You know? so we teach we we teach workshops, you know, once a quarter, we have a three-day workshop. And I'd love to. We have a one-day workshop that we teach every third Saturday of the month. We call it Note Weekend. And it's usually 99 bucks. It's a kind of the Cliff Notes version of Note Investing, as we like to say. We show you <laughs> how we find these deals, we show you how to fund these deals, and we show you how the flip or the extra strategies behind it. Like I said, it's only 99 bucks. If you go to noteweekend.com and Register for it and type in this discount code MVU. MVU. It'll give you, I'll give you the class for free. And you ain't got to show up live. You can, we'll send you the replays of the previous class or the replays of the, the, the class so you can start learning. But like I said, noteweekend.com, special discount code MVU. It's still going to ask for you to put your information in credit, credit card. Make sure you're a real person, but we'll not charge your card or anything. But you're, that's my special gift to your audience awesome. out there. And that's the first thing now, I always tell people, hey, you got to because that way you know what you're investing in. Somebody wants to invest with me. Hey, you know you can always schedule a call with me by going to talk with Scott Carson. We'll we'll talk about where you're at, what kind of goals you're looking for. For some people, it's a great passive investment where they can make six to eight percent on their money and not do anything. Other people are looking for more active returns, and then you can you know, very easily make a double digit return uh, in multiple facets, depending on what you're looking for. So I, I always say let's let's jump on a call and talk and make sure that we you know some for some people, note investing is not the right. Niche. Sure. You know, and I don't want to, I'm not wanting to blow smoke and say it's for everybody because it's not.
1: Yeah, but it's important to know, too, that these are like 12 month deals that you're doing. It doesn't really go too much past 12 months traditionally, or no, it's, it, it's, the it. it's, it's the opposite
0: way. It's the opposite. We we always tell people it's a short term investment of like usually 24 to 36 months. Okay. Because most people, when they think of a mortgage, no, they think 30 years, right? right. I'm going to be in this for 30 years. No, 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 no. We don't do deals usually less than 12 months because if we're buying a note, it's going to take us a little while, 90 days for servicing to transfer and then the borrower outreach. And then depending on what state it's in, it may take us longer to foreclose. It could take us a year in, in Florida. Mm-hmm. So we always tell people, plan on 24 to 36 months to be in and out of the deal. If it's going to be a performing note after 36 months, we'll say, hey, do you want to stay and keep making a return or do want to you want to cash out and we can refinance you out with other people's money? But the, the, the great thing to realize is is what I love is that we don't do a lot of direct mail. It's A lot of it's drip marketing, via email blast to asset managers or LinkedIn. So we have a lot less overhead as far as marketing, no postcards, door knocking, mm-hmm. or bandit signs. And banks, when, once we get all in the right department, they're sending us lists on a regular basis. Most real estate investors are used to dealing with one distressed bar and they get one asset and they have to do the same thing every month to find stuff. We don't. We get stuff sent to us on a regular basis. And then the, the ultimate thing is that we get stuff at bigger discounts which
1: leads to bigger returns that happen to all those the hard heavy lifting yeah. like, fix and flip. Really cool. Yeah, you're flipping the note, flipping the debt instead of the property. Just super cool concept. Uh, a lot of people just don't even think about it or think that they're too small for it, but private investors can be involved in things like this. Such a cool episode. Um, Scott, thank you so much for coming on. How can listeners reach out? I know you mentioned a couple of ways, but just any other ways listeners can reach out and follow you.
0: Yeah, real easy. You can go to WeCloseNotes.com. That's our main website, WeCloseNotes.com. We've got all our different podcasts, classes, and things that have like going on there. You can always uh, schedule a call with me if you want to find out more by going to TalkWithScottCarson.com. That's TalkWithScottCarson.com. That's my calendar link to talk with you. And if you're listening to this, Stuart is doing a badass job. And we as podcasters, <laughs> we want to hear from you. So do Stuart a <laughs> favor. If you're listening to this, click the hit the subscribe button, and then make sure you leave a five-star review. So make sure you share some love with Stuart today, too.
1: Hey, I always appreciate a good shout out. I appreciate like that. uh, I'm going to listen to your podcast, too. I didn't know you had a podcast as well. And I'm just curious about this. Is it something I I might be finding myself investing in? Because I can see the passive side, just as you can passively invest in real estate, passively invest in notes like these. Um, But I I see the, the great potential for those. So anyways, thanks again for the shout out. And thanks for coming on the podcast. Look forward to connecting more in the future. Thank you for listening to this episode of Money Vision U. If this is something that added value to you, then please subscribe, leave a review, and share. We are passionate about teaching financial literacy so you can learn to take control of your financial future. If you want to learn more, then follow us on social media platforms at Money Vision U. We look forward to catching you in the next class.